Morning, church. Hey. Good morning. It's a great morning. Soli Deo Gloria. Soli Deo Gloria. Most of you guys know what that means. Glory to God alone, right? And you might see Beth running around here. She has a shirt and it has that. And then you might see some pins. Do all of you have pins? We, we got the new pins that say Soli Deo Gloria on them. Is that Greek or Hebrew? That is in Latin. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, we got another one here. Hey, we have another one right here. Here we go. Beth has the colors, though. you got to admit, she's, she's seen more even than yeah. But, yeah. And I have one of those, too. So I have one. I'm hoping it'll, like, by osmosis, it'll... I like it. It's underneath it, it but it's there. You know, yeah. if you want to see if um, uh, Bob is the last one, what, what's that? Down deep. Yeah, hopefully it's down deep. <laughs> if you want to see if, if if Bob is the elect one, all you have to do is take back his shirt. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> anyway, we have those pins, and they're back in the office, and uh, they're really used not only for us here, but uh, great witnessing tools. And if you want to uh, have uh, have another extra one, or if you just happen to drop it somewhere, you forget somewhere, like at a restaurant or at work or wherever you go, and you want somebody to kind of see it, you know. Anyway, those uh, uh, it's kind of a little tool there, but it's it's uh, so they're they're back there, back there in the office, and they say our name on it there too. It's not just solely Dale Gloria, and I think it has our website on it there also. Hey, I want to tell you we are. We are at a place I think is probably one of the most awesome, exciting Scripture passages in all the Bible. It's exciting because we happen to be there, but it's exciting because this event is an event that I think is above all the events maybe in some senses. Uh, of course, the cross, we, we know how important that is. That has to be there. But yet, for Christians now, um, if you were to look back and go through the Bible and think some of the great events of the Bible, and they're just all over the place. You think of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea, you know, with Moses and the children of Israel. Wouldn't you like to see that? Wouldn't that have been amazing to see? Or how about in the wilderness where Moses speaks to the rock and water just starts flowing out of it? Wouldn't you just love to see that? And you start thinking all of the Old Testament things that that happen. And of course, you can think of the the Tower of Babel, and you know where the languages were confused. Uh, let's move on forward to the New Testament, where we see Jesus walking on water. Wouldn't you just love to see that event? If you could kind of kind of uh, go what rewind <laughs> and and look at that. Or how about whenever. Uh, the deal with the roof where the man was lowered down. Wouldn't you just love to see that one? Or how about the uh, resuscitation of uh, a guy by the name of Lazarus? Wouldn't you just love to see that? How about the Mount of Transfiguration? Wouldn't that be glorious? Woo! You know, the Bible is just full of these things. Why don't people want to get in here and read those things? It just goes on and on. I just said something that just hit the tip of the iceberg. But I do want to tell you, of all these events, I think that if we could just see one event, God would say, Dennis, I'm going to let you see one event, just just pictorially. What would you choose? Now, God's not going to ask me that. But, just in my imagination, 
I think we'd be awfully hard-pressed to see something that is more spectacular and splendid that is in what our verses are about today. Now, have we got your attention yet? (laughs) I can't think of anything better. And if this doesn't get you going, nothing will. I'm telling you. Uh, we're uh, going to look at how Jesus Christ explained the situation whenever He comes back. And I'm, I'm saying the power, the glory, the splendor, and He comes here to take His rightful place over planet Earth and then to take His reign in the kingdom and to rule in righteousness. Now, doesn't that get you? Isn't that what we look for so much? Uh, I think it is an awesome event, and it's what it will be like when Jesus bursts forth in the skies, and what is seen is this splendid glory and power that everyone will see. Now, this is how God has chosen to bring about His predetermined plan, and it will happen. And we as Christians know that. Uh, I think it's just uh, marvelous. Jesus is so graciously describing some of the things that's going to go on during the time after He actually will die and then resurrect and then ascend and on from there all throughout the rest of history till He comes back. He tells us some things. I think it's plain as as day And as we uh, think about this, uh, the Messiah uh, is coming back. And Jesus is answering a question, giving us this intervening time period. And I'm just blessed, I'm overwhelmed that He would tell us things that were going to happen during this time. Uh, Natural disasters, the famines, cataclysms, persecution they will mount things will get worse he really characterizes the earth as it would be difficult times and history has definitely proven this hasn't it we can look back in history look at this as it was foretold and then look back and see the things that happened during the time and uh, as we stressed in the last couple of weeks um, not only do we believe in the 70 A.D. event, but don't take that as the end all of matters because it would be far minimizing what the tribulation will be. Um, there is a guy, I think, that has some great words as he describes things. I love to listen to his message of Stephen Lawson. And boy, his messages that he has on this section here is incredible. Audio, um, I think it's uh, sermonaudio.com. <laughs> Find that. And I don't, he has at least maybe four, five, six messages uh, on this chapter where we're at. And let me tell you, the glorious descriptions that he has are incredible. I, I, I like Thomas Watson in, in that he's so quotable. Well, Stephen Lawson is becoming known as very quotable, very sound in his theology. And I just got blessed, and I just got really turned up a few degrees last night as I, I listened to uh, one of his messages on that. Uh, earlier this week, I'd heard another one trying to grab some other thoughts, trying to be fresh. And uh, let me tell you, whenever he said, let's don't minimize 
this one little event that happened 70 AD. It's pretty monstrous, but it's nothing compared to the things that will be. And we described that last week, dealing with the tribulation, the great tribulation. The, uh, Matthew mentions the great tribulation. Uh, Mark talks about the tribulation. Matthew mentions the great tribulation. It's talking about um, where the a man comes in, sits in the temple, making himself out to be God. We uh, toasted over those passages, and you think of Second uh, Thessalonians, for instance, and then in, in, all, in our gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the abomination of desolation, and. Um, then you have the Great Tribulation, which amounts to, and Daniel talks about it, John in Revelation speaks about it, either 42 months, or you have the time, time and half a time, 1260 days. How much is that? Three and a half uh, years. That's that 70th week of Daniel. That's the seven-year time period. And I think that fits right into what our text is dealing with as... Um, I think Jesus uh, comes along and makes this known. I think it's plain as day. Um, Right before His second coming, immediately before His second coming, the curse that we have known that goes all the way back to Genesis and has been throughout human history is going to reach its culmination, its very apex as mankind shows how sinful and how ignorant He is. They've always been that way, but it just expands to the apex. What a sinful time period that we are in. And it seems to be mounting, it's it's revealing itself even more. Even though sin is sin and it's always the same, but yet it's, it's now seen in a more clear way than ever before. And so we've now arrived at this consummation in our study, and uh, this being our third week on this, I don't want to uh, beat a dead horse with it, but I'm just trying to take chunks here and see how far we get with it. And probably one more week on this will take us to finish it, and that's a long chapter. Then we'll get into uh, the next chapter uh, of Mark, which is leading up to his death, leading up to the cross. And that's, that's really the apex of history where sin is taken care of. But can you imagine... Can you imagine with these descriptive and graphic words that Jesus gives us here, it is a blessed hope for Christians as He returns. For other people who do not believe that He's going to come back. People who do not believe in Christ, it's not going to be a glorious, blessed hope. It will be a time of judgment. It's an epic, culminating And we know that every eye will see Him. In Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, we get a picture there of Christ coming back that is just mind-blowing. He's riding on a white charger of war. His eyes have a flaming fire. His robe is dipped in blood and a sharp sword coming out of His mouth to smite the nations. And on His robe and on His thigh, He has a name written. You ready? Let's say it together. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's an exalted second coming. I want you to get excited this morning because there is nothing on this earth that compares to this second coming. Never, 
Ever. Has there ever been a thing like this? People get excited when there are concerts and, and all sorts of light shows going on, or July 4th, the 4th of July, bursting up on the sky. And all I can ever think about is, wow, when Christ comes back, it's going to make this little show, which is fantastic, going to make it look like a, a little nothing. You know, I mean, whenever He comes back, it is going to be incredible. Matter of fact, it's going to be quite a contrast between his first coming as a little baby and really nobody really knowing who he is except for the shepherds and they were out in the the fields at night and they saw the angels. That was a glorious thing. Wouldn't mind seeing that either, right? Mm -hmm. But only a few saw that. It was uh, not like a king coming. But whenever he comes back, what a sight. I want you to get excited because this is what you ought to look forward to every day. This is what everything we're we're living for. That's what we're shooting for. This magnificent view, and then we'll go on in with Him. Even if we have all these wars and plagues, which we've had, and we are in that time period even now, catastrophes engulf us. We know the news. We can lift up our heads. And that's what it says in Luke. Look, look, your redemption draws near. Very near. It's right at the door. Death only brings to completion the salvation. So if you die before that time, it brings the completion as we're getting closer. Our Lord accomplished everything on the cross. What needed to be done for our salvation. So we are people of hope. We are people of joy. Are you charged up? I mean, we of all people are the people that really should have all the joy. Preach it. Preach it. That's right. The world is engulfed in anxiety. The world is in fear. Just turn on the 6, 5.30 news. <laughs> Man, you'll see nothing but bad news. They capitalize in bad news, bad news, bad news. And if we have our eye on the present and the other eye on the second coming, you'll get along just fine. Because that's what Jesus is doing here. Here's what's going to happen as things expand. Here's what's going to happen before I come back. He didn't say 2,000 years, but that's really what it's amounted to. It's just been like telescoped. Here's, here's the things that's going to happen, right? Keep your eye, the other eye on that. It's good to know what's going on, why this is happening. Luther said something like this. Martin Luther said, there are two days on his calendar. Right now in the present, the day that he's living, and Christ coming back. He looked to that second coming. So let's look at this blessed hope, keep your eye on the horizon. Because, boy, this is what it's shooting for. And so, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, turn to Mark, turn with me to Mark chapter 13. Let's stand. Let's read God's holy word and see what Jesus said for the disciples and all of the church to look at. To look for. Verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send forth the angels and will gather together His elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank You for revealing the Son. 
people. And these last days, the last days started with Him. In these last days, You've given us the greatest revelation that we could have, the person of Jesus Christ. There's nothing, anything better. No use to look for anything else to satisfy us but Jesus Christ. Him alone. And then when He gives us this promise, and when He's told us, okay, things are not going to go as smooth as you think you would like. It's not going to be heaven on earth here during this time period before I come back. That's what Jesus said. But He said that He's coming back. And it will be so glorious. And then we also will be put in glory too. Thank you for telling us these things and help us to understand these things more clear today. In your Son's name, amen. amen. You can be seated. We start right off in verse 24, but in those days, and we ask, what days? Well, it just says it right here. After that tribulation. We all go through tribulation. We all have our trials. We all have our tribulations. There have been tribulations for the church ever since there have been believers. But I do want to tell you, there is a tribulation of all tribulations. And it's, this is where um, we have a sequential unfolding. And this is immediately in Matthew 24:29. Matthew 24:29 but immediately after the tribulation of those days those were the days that we were talking about last week uh, you have the false prophets and you have the the earthquakes and you have wars and rumors of wars those are real folks those are real they're not just made up or some kind of symbolism and everybody I, every theologian I know will say yes the earthquakes are real and yes the wars are are real and the famines are real but we get into a little bit more difficult passage to deal with that's in the future that we can't look at it's something that is going to happen and so we have nothing but the scripture to go on and uh, so all of a sudden it starts turning into some spiritual thing rather than some kind of physical thing and I don't think we have the right to do that um, this is an increasing suffering in the world the birth pains and the Lord returns and uh, this little passage here like in Matthew but immediately after the tribulation or in Mark but in those days after the tribulation it's just one of many reasons why it's not meaning just 70 A.D. If it's immediately after the destruction of Jerusalem, then it doesn't really seem to have happened because what we have here is the event of all events and it's Christ coming back where every eye will see Him. What He predicted uh, then did not happen, if that be the case. Uh, Jesus would have been mistaken and, and He said some things that weren't quite right. He didn't understand prophecy. So it has to precede His return. It's the fall of Jerusalem. Jesus uh, would have been mistaken if that is it. Uh, we just said that that's a foreshadow of something much bigger. Much bigger. And so we, we look at this. After that tribulation, that, that has just been described a, a, a horrible time, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Are you ready for this? They can read it and like, wow, it's going to be pretty dark. Well, this is the setting of the stage. We have this great event going on. And of course, this whole 
world that we've been in has been like a, a, a story. It's like a play. It's been a stage and the actor of all actors and the one who wrote it and produced it and everything. I mean, he's in charge of it all. He stars in it. We see the star. It's Christ. We see this light. The lights go down at this section. And the spotlight of the ages is turned on. There's going to be a solar blackout like there's never been before. Lights out. And we uh, have read before that the light of the moon and the stars also will deplete. They will be blocked. The very forces of the stellar bodies will be careening out in the universe. They'll be shaken. Creation will be shaken like it's never been before. This is utter blackness. This is the picture that I want you to get this morning. As Jesus comes back, the whole light system that we have here is out. I don't think artificial lights are going to be able to do the trick. You won't have any kind of that. What would the world do if Internet went out? That would be a disaster. <laughs> That'd be okay, you know. We lived back in the 70s and 80s without that. What if electricity went out? Ooh, now we're in reality. Well, at one time, there wasn't electricity. Well, what about those coal oil lamps? I don't think that's even going to be... I think it's just going to be... Lights out. And you know what you have here? You have a black velvet background. Now, I'm not talking one with Elvis on it. (laughs) Tasty, right? (laughs) On this black, dark background comes the light of all lights. The sun goes dark. Of course, if the sun goes dark, what happens to the moon? The moon goes out. The moon doesn't have its own light. It comes from the sun. It's a reflection. If the sun goes out, the stars go dark. Everything is careening. It can't last long like this. I mean, Christ has to come back. Now, I want to tell you what Jesus just said here. After that tribulation, He gets their ears really perked. I'm sure they already are. And they're going, you know, they're trying to figure this out. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. They've heard this before. They're really familiar with this. It's all through the Old Testament. That's why I say you interpret Scripture with Scripture. And we want to get the fullness of what this means. Not just a half a meaning. The Jews knew the promise. The Jews knew the promises out of the Scriptures that the Messiah would come. They're quite familiar with this. This is common Old Testament imagery. And we're going to take a few minutes, and maybe more than a few minutes, as we look at what the Old Testament has to say about this, because it is imagery that is doing with cataclysmic historical events, things that were going to happen in the future to them. And these are the kind of words that are used in the New Testament. Jesus uses here, and D.A. Carson says, they are clearly associated with Christ's coming at the end of the age. Those in the Old Testament, even though some of those things literally did happen in some senses, not compared to what will happen here, as Carson mentions. What we want to do is turn to Joel chapter 2.
Joel 2, verse 2. Uh, let's pick it up at verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord, that's a key phrase, the day of the Lord, that's dealing with judgment, but in the Old Testament it is speaking ultimately of the Messiah judgment that whenever He comes. Surely it is near. Here we go. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness as the dawn spread over the mountains so there is a great and mighty people. I'll cut off there. The emphasis here is a day of darkness, gloom, clouds, thick darkness. Day of the Lord. Judgment upon Israel. Judgment upon nations. That happened in the Old Testament, no doubt. That's good imagery. But does it stop there? No, it's pointing something that will come. That's why I say when you read prophecy, it's not just one little event that's coming up. It always points ultimately to Christ at the cross and who He is and even the second coming. So it can mean two, three different things or at different times that, that build up. That's a rule of Scripture, and that's what we're going to look at. Uh, that you can say, well, you just made that up, Dennis. Well, if you look at the theologians, they will tell you the same thing. That's how I learned that. And then as we look at these Scriptures, we'll see that very clearly this is something past the Old Testament events. Before them the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. He's still speaking about the day of the Lord. Uh, in... Uh, that was verse 10. Look in verse 31. Same chapter. Uh, verse 30. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth. Blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And you say, wait a minute. Some of this sounds familiar because Peter quoted out of Joel. Joel 2. At the sermon... That was done at Pentecost. So that's the fulfillment. Well, it is, partially. Remember, remember what I said about uh, prophecy. A lot of times, even Jesus, like whenever He was uh, in the uh, tabernacle, or uh, not tabernacle, uh, a synagogue, and He was speaking one day and He was reading right out of Isaiah. And then He stopped because it was talking about His first coming. But then it went on to the second part and His second coming was dealing with judgment. And He stopped right there and He says, Today this is fulfilled. He's talking about, here I am here. So you see first and second coming together. If you read the Old Testament, you will start to see that coming together. That is there. It's clear. So... Um, and it's and it's not just Pentecost, even though that was a view, a picture of what would come later. It is an amazing thing that Christ had come there to people's hearts. Uh, the Holy Spirit had come. But we're talking about wonders in the sky, the sun and, and the moon. It's an awesome day. Keep on going. Look in chapter 3 of Joel, verse 15. Verse 14, multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Joel mentions it all over the place. I think there's something to this about the skies going black. Let's look at Zechariah. And we were in that last week. And this Zechariah really speaks about the second coming. 
And uh, Zechariah chapter 12 is where all of this starts and where you see a Jerusalem that is attacked and surrounded by the nations. And um, verse 10 says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will, look at this, look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadramim in the plain of Megiddo. I'll stop there. But... um, in verse, uh, matter of fact, you'll see that in the book of Revelation, chapter one, what Zechariah twelve ten talks about, speaking of his second coming, and 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 those people looking on him. There will be some who will be saved at the very moment that he comes back, and they will recognize who he is. That's God's grace, not by because of their works, not because oh they were finally smart enough to gather it. It's where his grace, even to the very moment that he comes back. Chapter 13, And that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for, for impurity. Um, still in that context. And then in chapter 14, Behold, verse 1, A day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from among you will be divided among you. And uh, it's talking about uh, when the nations are there plundering the city against Jerusalem. It says they'll gather all the nations against Jerusalem. That's not hard to fathom. Even right now, and I'm not trying to be a newspaper theologian. I'm just saying, uh, if you go back maybe a hundred years ago, uh, you'd try to figure out, well, how can this be? There's not even a Jerusalem. You know, or there's not much there. But you see now, there are nations there. <laughs> there are nations I think that's rather incredible that that, w- that whole nation would come back alive. didn't become a state to 1948. But look at this. Then the Lord, in verse 3, will go forth and fight against those nations as when He fights on a day of battle. This is Christ coming back. It's Him coming on that white horse as a warrior with His armies. And here we go, in verse 4. This is why I know that this is dealing with the second coming in this whole context in 12 and 13 and 14. That's the way we have to read it. We have to take this literally because it says, In that day His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. Is that real? Yeah. Most theologians say absolutely. Why does all of a sudden, whenever He comes back, it turns into a spiritual thing, and the literal coming on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem is okay, but after that, uh, that's just a semblance. It's really nothing to do with what's going to happen in the future. It talks about an earthquake. Do we believe in earthquakes? This is not a spiritual earthquake because he mentions the exact place where it's going to be, Azel, Valley of the Mountains. Look in verse 6. In that day, that same day, Christ has come back. In that time, right? there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. Are you catching something? We've seen that in Joel. We can go to many other passages, and we will, because I, I just want to convince you there's something to tie together here. This sounds like what Jesus is talking about in Mark. In that day there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. All the heavens, out! No light. It's pitch black dark. Look at this, though. For it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord. 
neither day nor night, but it will come about that at evening time there will be light. I thought the lights went out. I thought the sun went out. Yeah, that's right. Sure did. But Jesus has come. Jesus is the light. Matter of fact, He turns on the other lights. He's the light. The light of lights. Now I want you to turn all. The, now that's Zechariah, okay? And and here, uh, verse nine. By the way, you know, keeping in that context, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. He's returning to the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one, and His name the only one. And then He talks about the land changing, and He names the places where people were from there. Zechariah knew those places, the gates, and they, they were there. It's real. Why would we want to spiritualize all of this when we the glory is here? I don't want to take anything out of the glory of God and say it's something else. Then He talks about the Feast of Booths, which will actually happen at that time. Why does He mention it and keep mentioning it? And people will uh, actually disobey this at this time. So it's not the eternal state, and it's not now. It's not at a time ever will be because Christ has not come back. So there is a time period set up, and that's why I say the blessed millennial kingdom is backed up by Zechariah, by Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, and through many of the Old Testament passages. It's something to really look at and and study because it's something that I think that is a glorious thing. It is there, uh, and if we can't change the rules of interpretation, look in Revelation chapter six, verse twelve and thirteen. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black. Sound familiar? As sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky is split apart. Very familiar language to Joel, to Zechariah, to Isaiah, to Haggai, to Zephaniah. That's incredible. Did you see that? The lights go out. We're going to feature that for a moment. Turn to Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah 13. When, when God gives us something, I think there's something to look at. And whenever He gives it over and over and over, almost like a million times, I think He's trying to hit us in the head with something. He says, don't you get this? Isaiah 13, 6 through 13. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. Now, in Isaiah time, yes, that did happen. Remember the rules. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment. Their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. He will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Does that sound like what Jesus is talking about? Look in verse 13. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place. The whole universe, the heavens, the earth. There's a shaking here. Uh, How can we describe all of this? I think it's literally going on not just uh, some kind of bad sin. Uh, 
um, Isaiah 24. Stay in Isaiah chapter 24. He just keeps mounting upon this. Isaiah 24, 1. Um, Behold the day, or behold the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. Look at verse 3. The earth will be completely laid waste, completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. In verse 23, which is a key one here, then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed. There's the moon and the sun. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And His glory will be before His elders. That's out of Isaiah. If you look in chapter 34, Isaiah had much to write about this. We're just going to to save time. Verse 4, And all the hosts of heaven will wear away in the heavens. The sky will be rolled up like a scroll, and their host will also wither away. The text there, context, is uh, when he comes back with the armies in judgment. Um, Haggai, chapter 2. You don't turn there too often, do you? I admit, I don't turn there too often either. As well as saying, we have a Zephaniah, we have a Haggai. should go to Zephaniah first, but we'll go back there in a second. Haggai, uh, Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I see in the dry land. I'll shake all the nations, right? He's going to judge them. But there's a shaking going on. Something happens in the heavens and and the earth. Zephaniah turned back just a page or two. Zephaniah 1.15 14 says, Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it the warrior cries out bitterly, A day of wrath is that day. A day of trouble and distress. A day of destruction and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. It happened. It happened. But I think with other passages we see that this will happen again. What our Lord said here about the sun being dark, the moon not giving us light, stars careening all over the universe, power shaken, is brought and then the Lord will establish His glory and His kingdom. Now I want you to look in Luke 21. How are the people on this earth who are not believers, how are they going to respond to this situation. Luke 21, verse 25. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars. Okay? Now I want you to catch this next phrase. And on the earth, dismay among nations. It's further than 70 A.D. (laughs) This will be a day, as Mark said, that there's never been the whole world is affected. All the nations are perplexed, not just at Jerusalem, at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Look at this. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Same context as Luke 21 as our mark. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Lift up your heads, all you believers, because your redemption 
is drawing near. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. Our glorification will happen. If If there happens to be people that are believers, as they look up, right? Your redemption is coming. Wow. Wow. No rational explanation for this, for the people as they look up and see this. And you know what? It says that they are in dismay. They are in perplexity. They're faint. They faint. I think as it's uh, stated in verse 26. Men fainting from fear. That means uh, aposuko. And it means that they're going to die. They're going to expire. Faint. Faint to their deaths. An emotional trauma. Just looking at what is going to happen is going to cause people to die. Just to see it. You've heard of people, heart attack victims, when just something that they see or hear gets them all at once, a rapid pulse, changes in the blood pressure, cardiac collapse. That's shock. Shock and awe. I remember back in 1990, George Bush as president, and we sent all of our uh, our warriors uh, especially in the plains. And we didn't even get on the ground yet there in uh, Iraq. And it was called shock and awe. Remember that? Boy, that was a tremendous sight. I'd never seen anything like that. That was nothing. Those little planes, you know. Shock and awe. These people are just going to be a... They're just going to be amazed. and They'll be trying to hide themselves. Pitch black darkness. The whole universe is in upheaval. Everything is chaos. We read the Old Testament passages. We've read the New Testament passages. The powers of the heaven will be shaken. Everything that seems stable will be shaken. All reality of stability that we know of. What's stable in this world? We kind of hang on to that, don't we? Nothing is stable. Only Christ. And all the heavens and earth will be shaken one day. We have to put our hands on our mouths when we read something like this. This is about the holiness of God. He's not judging right now. He is in a sense. There's a wrath of God going on where He has just more or less lifted His hands back and let the world do what it's doing, as Romans 1 says. And that's part of the wrath of God. But the rest of the wrath of God has to happen. Someday. could be very soon. When He will unleash the wrath of all wraths. His present restraining hand of grace is still happening. And that's what keeps the world from crumbling right now. You wonder, how can this world go on any further? See, this kind of stuff gives us hope when we're reading about some of the worst news, the news, can you imagine them trying to report this? They probably won't want to do it because it will be telling on themselves. They can't do anything about it. I don't know. They're going to be judged. This is a planet that's waiting its judgment in a horrendous way. This is a fixed day on God's calendar, folks. It's going to happen exactly when He wants it to. Right now, everything goes as expected. And probably when we walk out of here today, we go, we'll go. we probably go eat lunch. 
Usually what we do on Sunday, do the things, relax, right? As we're supposed to. You know, it's a day of rest. We enjoy that day and get with family or maybe visit some people or just kind of kick back, whatever it is. Maybe read our Bibles even, huh? <laughs> be a good thing to do. R.C. Sproul said something that was incredible. Every sin, every least little sin is a capital offense against God. Every little bitty sin that doesn't seem like much is a capital offense against God and deserves to be cast into hell, to be judged totally. And he used an illustration of driving 31 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone. We still are without excuse. Sin deserves judgment from God. This is one thing that we're reading. You say, Dennis, I thought we were going to have an exciting time. Well, I just told you. It just turns black and dark and then the light is switched on. We know what it's about. I think it's a stimulating sight. Don't you guys think so? We're going to see this. We're going to be a part of it. We're going to be a part of this story. He's not going to be coming back as a little bitty baby. He's not going to be coming back when nobody knows that He's coming and along with the lowly shepherds knowing about it. All eyes will be upon this. We can't even imagine this amazing scene. And one thing we're told here is that the actual appearance of Jesus is linked with astronomical signs. This is the sign. No more moon, no more sun, no more stars. It's so monumental. I think this is a glorious event because now nobody can look at anything else but Jesus Christ. What did the early church fathers think of this? What, what do they think? Well, they definitely knew it was the second coming of Christ. They knew it was right at the end. That's what the early church fathers taught. And they said, they had some speculations, like everybody else does. That sign must be a cross up in the sky. Kind of cool to think about. Great big cross coming across. A fiery, emblazoned cross. Get the visual there, you know. Absolute darkness just ablaze. Cyril of Jerusalem, Chrysostom, Origen. They all talked about that. Others have thought it would be some kind of heavenly glow. No, the sign is not a cross. The sign is not a glow. The sign is the Son of Man in full power, full glory. Now, those those other things kind of lead up to that and are kind of like signs, but He is the ultimate sign, if nothing else. Okay? People debate on what what's the sign, and, and hey, I, if, there, if it means something else, that's okay. But I know the ultimate sign is Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Now Jesus referred to himself most often, as it's stated here in Mark. What was his favorite term for himself? It says in verse twenty-five, the stars will be falling from heaven, the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see. What? The Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. This is immense. This is incredible. The Son of Man. Jesus is, is saying this. This this is he's the one teaching this, folks. 
Son of Man is going to come in clouds at this time. Immediately after all this. And he referred to himself that because, for one thing, it shows his humanity, the Son of Man. When you look in the book of Luke, it's about the Son of Man, constantly through Luke, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. He refers to himself as identifying with us. In the book of John, you see him as the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He is deity. He is human. Together. Incredible. The two natures of Christ, and but this is definitely speaking of deity also. Because when we look back now, what he's doing is he's been quoting Scripture. He quoted Old Testament Scripture there, didn't he? In verse 24, verse 25. He keeps on. And he uses another Testament, uh, Old Testament passage. It's found in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Daniel has a lot to say about prophecy. And here is about the Ancient of Days taking his seat. I'm not going to read all of that. Running short on time here, but we're going to skip ahead to verse 13. Daniel says, I kept looking. Daniel got all of these. What blessing, didn't he? I mean, to see what was going to happen in the very near future all the way up to the time that Christ comes back. He saw this. Didn't have a lot of understanding on it. But he wrote it down. He says, I kept looking in the night visions. Can you imagine this vision or whatever it is that he's getting? And behold, I think I'd say that too. Behold, whatever he saw here or how he got it brought to him with the clouds of heaven. Clouds of heaven. One, like a son of man, was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. If you remember in the book of Daniel, he was given a vision of the kingdoms. Starting with the one he was at that time. The Babylonian kingdom. Then the Medes and the Persians. Then the Greeks. And then the Roman Empire. He foresaw all that. He's given dominion, glory, and kingdom, but something that will not be broken down. The kingdoms, they come and they go. The nations with all their power, they come and they go. The United States has been around here for a little over 200 years. I think it was 1976, celebrated its 200th anniversary. I was around at that time, believe it or not. <laughs> I remember well. That was quite a year celebrating that. 200 years is nothing, a drop in a bucket. We've been a great nation. And it seems like since 76, actually probably going back further, but it seems like since 76 we have really dropped down uh, to, the, to the bottom really quick. But we're still known as like the one of the great nations of the uh, you know the world. But our time is coming. We don't last forever. This little kingdom here is about done. Christ, whenever He takes over, everlasting. It will not pass away. 
His kingdom will never be destroyed. Christ is the Son of Man. He is inaugurated here in a vision that Daniel gets. Something that will happen in the future. Even though Christ is Lord and He seats, sits at the right hand of God and things were done at that, He's going to come back and claim it. That's the idea of the second coming. Yes, He is Lord. He is King. But yet it will be culminated to its fullest. I'm glad this isn't just where it stops. Where, okay, we're in His little spiritual kingdom. I want a physical kingdom too. Where He rules and reigns. The sign. Power and glory. The Son of Man. There have been Nebuchadnezzars. There have been Alexander the Greats. There have been Caesars. They're all dead. Jesus came. He's the King. He's out of the grave. Go visit Him. He's not there. In that day, 14.6 of Zechariah says, there will be no light. Sun goes out. Moon goes out. The light will be the one who is the light. The light is Jesus Christ. In that day, there will be no light. But I do want to tell you, as the luminaries disappear, it says in the Hebrew, in Zechariah 14.6, the bright ones will fade. There's no light. It's a unique day. Unique. Never been anything like this since the creation has there. It's been evening and morning, evening and morning, evening and morning. When you get up, you expect to see light out. Or if you get up too early, you expect the light to come out. At least there's still some kind of light out there, you know, right? Or it's going to come. And we expect that every day, don't we? Even if the sun doesn't shine, which it really is shining, there just happens to be some clouds that are blocking the very brightness of it. But it's always there. The moon, whether even whether it has waned to where you don't even hardly see it, see a little fingernail or whatever, it's still there. And then it comes out. It's always been that way. This day, it's not going to be that way. Look to Jeremiah chapter 30 verse... Uh, not Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Hey, a big prophet. A major prophet. Minor prophets. They're all the Word of God. Same. But um, more chapters. Jeremiah 30 verse 7. Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress. But he will be saved from it. The time of Israel's distress. Jacob, Israel. The time of Jacob's distress. Not the church's distress. The time of Jacob's distress. This is known as, in Mark, the time of tribulation, as he mentions Sabbaths and such. He said, well, that's 70 A.D. We've already covered that, haven't we? We're talking about the sun, the moon, the stars. We're talking about Jesus Christ coming back. Uh, that generation. Look in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 26. The time of Jacob's trouble. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 26. The light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. Now this is interesting. This takes a little bit different twist now. The light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. And the light of the sun will be seven times brighter like the light of seven days on the day the Lord binds up the fracture of His people and heals the bruise He has inflicted. All of a sudden, 
the moon, stars, the sun. Much brighter. The moon will be just like the light of the sun. You know how the sun is during the day? That's what the moon will be like. And then during the, uh, the, the sun is going to be seven times brighter. We're talking about the brightness. All of a sudden, is just extended upon this universe. And of course, Christ we know is the light, but He gives the light there. Uh, and He turns back the lights on His glorious kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19 and 20. I'd like to cover these a lot slower, but um, obviously we'd be here... Uh, a long time. 19 and 20. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor by brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be over. Then all your people will be righteous. They weren't righteous before. They will possess the land forever the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. The smallest one will become clan, and the least one a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will hasten in its time. The Lamb is a light. The light shines from the glorified Christ. There's plenty of light that's coming in that darkness. Okay, back to our mark. The Son of Man, coming in clouds, with great power and glory. Coming in the clouds, in the cosmological confusion that we have with all this darkness, Jesus is going to be coming shining in clouds of glory. Now, whatever that means, I'm not sure, but I will tell you, Jesus was seen ascending into heaven in a cloud. You remember that? Mount of Olives. That was a physical appearance. It's not just something metaphorical there, is it? Or spiritual, but it's real. I want you to grab the realness of this all, not some ethereal thing. Look in Acts 1. Oh, the Word of God has so much to say. Acts 1, 9-11. through 11. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on in a cloud received him out of their sight. I believe that's a literal cloud. Cloud is there. What's going on? As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up for you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. This is real. You will see him. Every eye will see him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. I've been commenting about that. Now we'll turn to it. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. It's not about Him coming back. He is coming with the clouds. The clouds. Psalm 104, verse 3. The clouds. Psalm 104, verse 3. I think this is exciting. What a show this will really be. And I use that, uh, hopefully not sacrilegiously. I don't know how to describe it. 
104.3. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. If he wants to use the clouds, he can ride on them, right? I know there's a lot of metaphorical senses behind that. But uh, coming in the clouds, we, we think of that. Uh, Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1. verse 1 the oracle concerning Egypt behold the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and is about to come to Egypt this is a message to Egypt (laughs) but uh, there he's talking about you know of course a a judgment and such but the the clouds what's so much about the clouds well we've seen that he's coming back something dealing with the cloud do you remember the Shekinah glory do you remember in the book of Exodus the great glory that was seen there um, when you think of the tabernacle, the cloud by day and a fire by night. A cloud. What's the big deal about the cloud? In the tabernacle, the holiness of God was there and it was filled with what? Cloud. The Spirit of God was there. The temple, Solomon's temple, do you remember what happened there? It was the Shekinah glory filled with this clouds and nobody could go in. It's coming back. Something about this cloud. This Shekinah light. Shekinah glory. God's presence. That's what's going to be coming along with Him. Along with many others. Threshold of the door. He comes with great power and glory. You ready for this? Look in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, verse 11. Oh, I have so much. Okay, this is great. We're going to read from 11 through 16. You ready for a reading? You're talking about power and glory. He's just said in Mark and in all those Old Testament passages. To us, it's glory, isn't it? To us, it's power. To us, this is what we are waiting for. I can't wait to see this. People can't wait to see the Super Bowl. (laughs) There is a time that we're waiting for something you have never experienced or seen. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. Don't ask what that is. Because I just said it. (laughs) He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Are those in capital letters? The King of kings. What an entrance this will be when He comes back to the earth. It wasn't like this before. What an exhibit. 
Turn to Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. He comes on that horse with a sword. And Exodus says, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord, or Yahweh, is His name. King of kings, Lord of lords. Moses is reflecting on what happened at the Red Sea and how it was divided. And he says, Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is His name. The warrior is coming back. And whenever he talked about in Revelation there, the armies, get to that in a moment. We're going to go back to Mark, finish this up, with this section. Coming with great power and glory. Did you see it there in Revelation? Did you see that great power and glory? Did we, did we finish the rest of that section? We did, didn't we? Okay. We went down through 16, right? By the way, verse 17 is talking about the the birds flying in mid-heaven come assemble for the great supper of God. That's where the final judgment is done. Uh, all of this is, is in perfect order. The order is just laid out. Wow. His angels are dispersed. Verse 27, He will send forth the angels and will gather together His elect. Joyous reapers to the harvest. They're not grim reapers for the believers. They're joyous reapers. Harvest, He's gathering His church from every nook and cranny. He's been doing that. But this will be the culmination of it all. Look at Mark 8.38. Mark 8.38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So when he comes back, it's not going to be by himself. He's going to be coming back with the holy angels. The legion of angels. What a glorious sight this will be. Matthew 24.31 says, He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other, from one end of the earth and from one end of heaven. In other words, all the elect everywhere are going to be gathered together for this kingdom. And some of them are still going to be on the earth. Some of them are going to be ones who passed on. I think that's your First Thessalonians chapter 4. He meets them in the air. That's a literal sense too. You believe that, don't you? That we'll meet Him in the air. All the elect will come down to the kingdom. The four winds. The four corners of the earth. The farthest end of the earth. From one end to the other end. Absolutely everywhere. None of His elect will miss this. They will all be there. Sunday mornings, there's always somebody that's sick or traveling, or there's just there's somebody that's not with us, and you feel like you're missing somebody. You, you, have you ever felt that way? Oh, it feels lonely, you know. But when the church is all gathered together, folks, and that's all the church over all of time, the elect are there. I like that word that's used there. None of them will be late. None of them will be missing. 
This is a time that's been assigned. Don't miss your appointment. Don't be late for your appointments. We have a meeting with God. We had a meeting with, with God here today. I hope you have been edified. One last thing. And matter of fact, Luke twenty one twenty eight says all those on the earth. So it's the ones who are there, the ones who have been with Him already. But there's something else I think that's exciting. We look in Revelation 19.14. We just read it. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following Him on white horses. Who's that? You say, well, the angels. I don't know about them necessarily having the fine linen, white and clean. They don't necessarily have to have that. It says elsewhere that we see, uh, like in Revelation here, that um, if you, I think if you go back to chapter 3, verse 4, this whiteness, this cleanness, But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. I will not erase his name from the book of life. I'll confess his name for my father and before his angels. The righteous acts of the saints, the white and clean garments, the fine linen, it's brighter than the fuller's soap, bright as can be, a brightness, that we will have in a glorious, glorious way. Look at this. Look in Revelation 19.8. Speaking of the Lamb and the church. It was given to her, this is the bride, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. We come back with Him if we've already been there. If we passed on, or we meet Him in the air, all of them are going to be coming back. Glorious thing. Can you imagine this scene? And you're an unbeliever and you're looking at this. They're going to be wailing. They're going to be trembling. They're going to be such shock and awe. People are just going to die immediately there. Uh, matter of fact, people's eyes will be just like their sockets rot out. We see that described in Zechariah. Wow. We're part of this entourage. We're part of this grand story of the ages as it climaxes. This is triumphant time, a symbol of victory, this whole thing is. To enter into His kingdom and reign with Him. Because in chapter 20, verse 4, it says, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. In Daniel 12, verse 3, and this is the last Scripture, I promise. Daniel 12, 3. He's talking about coming back to rescue. 
Look at verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel, I want to tell you, I want you to shut this book up. I want you to seal the book till the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Daniel, you don't even know what this means. But you're going to, be, you're going to bless some people. Folks, a glorious, glorious thing that we have to look to. And the, the thing that uh, I close up with, one little sentence. We need to live in the anticipation of His coming because He who has this hope in Him purifies Himself. That's our moment. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. May this be indelibly etched upon our minds constantly. When we're going through struggles and physical strains and sicknesses, illnesses, and all the things that uh, sin, the world, the devil brings us. Lord, it can be tough here. It's a time of suffering sometimes. And even if it's not suffering now, we may. But we do know that this takes everything by far. And that's why these little things now are just nothing compared to your grand supreme return. Thank you for revealing that to us. In your Son's name, Amen. Amen.